This episode is brought to you by Be the Ultimate by Dennis Guzik. This is probably the most fascinating podcast I've had as a sponsor because of the unique perspective. Not only is this a podcast for anyone who wants to achieve personal success and insight into career success, but anyone looking for leadership guidance and personal growth. Hosted by a former Marine officer, the old jarhead as he refers to himself, is a treat to listen to. Dennis Guzik brings his intellect, humor, and extensive corporate VP and USMC officer experience to each episode, giving listeners practical tips on a range of career topics that actually work. You'll get insider information on how to choose a career, get ahead professionally, handle salary negotiations, and become an effective leader. This engaging experience will improve all aspects of your personal journey towards being professionally successful. And who better to teach you these things than someone with the honor, integrity, grit, and determination of a Marine. Be the Ultimate can be heard on all your favorite podcast platforms, and I will provide links in this episode's description. Thanks, Be the Ultimate Podcast, for supporting Asylum 817 Productions. Greetings, friends. Your host, Billy Dean Shoemate III, and we are back with another episode of Strange Places. Can you believe it, man? What 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 episode is this? I mean, we're past 50, right? That's crazy. And statistically, most podcasts don't make it past their seventh episode. I remember a few years ago, see, I have a podcast that's already in its fifth season. We're in our second, second season. And I remember a few years ago when I started... The statistic was most podcasts don't make it past their 40th episode. And now it's down to like seven. <laughs> so pretty, pretty crazy. We just, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I tend to get obsessed with things. Maybe that's it. But <laughs> this is a lot of fun. Maybe it, maybe that's it. Despite the, because a lot of people start these podcasts, and they have no idea how much work it actually is. But I legit enjoy every part of that process. Maybe that's it. So anyway, th thanks for coming back. This podcast is brought to you by Anchor and DistroKid. So where are we going this week? Let's take a little trip to merry old England, shall we? To a little place called the Thirsk Museum. Now, if you visit the small jewel of a museum in Thirsk, you'll see the rather strange sight of an old oak chair hung from practically the ceiling, in one of the display areas. The chair was suspended at the explicit request of its owner to prevent anyone from ever sitting on it, including the maintenance and the cleaners. The museum has never broken its promise in over 30 years, despite numerous requests and even the threat of a legal action. Yeah, even the threat of a legal action. It almost sounded like I said illegal action. No, due to the threat of a legal action. Why? Well, it kind of has to do with a notorious ruffian. Local legend has it that the chair belonged to a guy named Thomas Busby, thug, thief, drunkard, who lived in North Yorkshire in the latter part of the 1600s. Busby, he married a woman named Elizabeth, the daughter of a small-time 
petty crook, Daniel Awati, Awati, I, I believe it's pronounced, who lived near the village of uh, Kirby Whisk. Awati had purchased, uh, he bought a farm after moving to the area from Leeds. His house, which he called Donati Hall, was ideal for Awati, enabling him to continue with his illegal coining activities, counterfeiting money, in relative seclusion. It was even reported that Awidi had built within the house a hidden chamber which was connected to the cellar via a secret passageway. But I digress. I'm, you know, going off on a tangent here. But anyway, counterfeiting money. <laughs> he was big into it. Busby was also the original owner of an inn near uh, Sand Hutton, I believe. Yeah, Sand Hutton. And just three miles from Donati Hall, he became Awidi's partner in crime. The details of what happened... That last fatal day of Awadi's life are vague. Awadi and Busby may have argued earlier that day, but over what isn't exactly known, it could have had something to do with Elizabeth. I'm stretching here, and I'll tell you when I am. The coining business could have been anything else. Their relationship was known to be uh, far from harmonious, <laughs> with Busby often in a really bad mood. Awadi for some foul mood, you know, reason... One reason or another, him in a foul mood, almost constantly himself. What is clear is that later that day, a drunken and volatile Busby returned to his inn only to find a weedy waiting for him, threatening to take Elizabeth home with him. So this makes me think, you know, it could have been over Elizabeth, but that's not important. What's important is what came after this. Busby's mood only blackened when he saw a weedy sitting in his favorite chair. Whatever their second argument of the, you know, whatever their second argument of the day was over, you know, Busby, uh, at the end of it, he forcibly removed a weedy from the chair and threw him out. That night, Busby, still seething, grabbed a hammer, stormed over to Donati Hall, and bludgeoned a weedy to death. Busby then tried to hide his handiwork in the woods. Concerned over Awidi's sudden disappearance led to a local search of the area being made. They found the body. Busby was arrested at the inn and charged with murder. Now, in the summer of 1702, Busby was tried and sentenced to death for murder at the, I can't pronounce this, York Azizazizaz? <laughs> York. His punishment was to be gibbeted. Hung from a gibbet, his body dipped in tar and his remains displayed on a stoop attached to the gibbet in full view of his inn. Wow, tarred without the feathers. Man, that's brutal. The inn was soon after renamed the Busby Stoop Inn, a name which it retained until it closed in 2012. Uh, okay, I think a little bit of background is in order here. Well, more. This gets really important. I know this is a very involved story, but this is one where you have to go through... We have to go through the whole history very, uh, very methodically because everything matters in this one. Very involved story. It's here that the story veers away from the historical certainty and moves into the realms of local folklore. One version recounts how Busby was granted his last wish, which was to have a final drink at his own inn and sit in his favorite chair. On leaving the inn... To make his final journey to the execution site, Busby cursed the chair, declaring that death would come shortly to anyone who sat in it. Another version tells how Busby drunkenly shouted out the curse whilst being taken to the place to be hung. Whichever way you look at it, it is very well known in the area. 
that Busby was determined that even from beyond the grave, he would never allow anybody sitting in his chair. Matter of fact, I did some digging myself, and I kind of got away from the folklore. I sent some emails. I made some calls. And I decided to go away from the internet on this one. On the internet, there's just so much about Busby's chair. And there's so much about Busby himself. There's so much about the crime. A lot of... It's tainted by so much lore that I almost didn't do this episode. But once I started digging a little deeper and finding actual photos of Busby, finding old police reports... Um, documents of his prior arrests. I was like, okay, there's something here. So, and the remaining of privacy, I will tell you one of the people I reached out to was the, you know, was the <laughs> Busby Inn. And uh, they were very cool. They were very kind. They were very gracious. But I don't want to stick to a place that obviously gets a lot of tourism from their story. So, calls, emails, I did my due diligence here. I wanted to hear from the horse's mouth. Now, I asked around to see if anybody, you know, if I could interview or what have you. Uh, No names. (laughs) So I wish I could have said some, but I wanted to old school gumshoe this one. Now, there are different takes on what happened. But what was unanimous with the people that I spoke to the locals there, it is very well known that Busby got extremely violent when anybody was sitting in his damn chair. That was Busby's chair, right? And if you saw anybody sitting, sorry, my throat's a little messed up. But if anybody was sitting in it, he would go crazy. And unanimously, okay, the people that I spoke to, I know this happened back then. There's nobody alive that was there then. But what's passed down anyway is that when Busby was arrested, he was sitting drunk in his favorite chair. (laughs) He was there when he was arrested. These are all hearsay things. These are all local legend things. Do we count this as fact? No, we cannot. But one thing is true throughout all of the stories, throughout all of the legends, what we can put together as fact, what everybody told me was that When he was, before he was sent off to be executed, he cursed death on anybody that sat in the chair. That much is unanimously said, this is what he did. Now there's different takes of it and, you know, stuff like that. This was a long time ago. But one thing that is the same with every story is that Busby cursed that chair. Normally, this would just be an awesome story, (laughs) right? That's, you know, passed down over the years and something, you know, thing of legend. Then why the hell do you, if you go to the Busby Inn right now, why is the chair hung feet off the ground as to not be sat in? Well, let's continue. Busby's spirit was believed to have haunted his old pub as well as the area that he was gibbeted. Am I saying that right? Gibbeted? Gibbeted? But it's his precious chair, right? The focus of his curse, which became irrevocably, irrevocably, wow. (laughs) I'm recording this at midnight, okay? You'll have to excuse me. Irrevocably linked to his revengeful spirit. Man, (laughs) I'm not going to cut there. We're going to keep going. According to local legend, this seemingly innocuous piece of furniture 
has been responsible for more deaths than most freaking serial killers. The estimate puts the number of its victims at... Actually, I have an official count. All uh, stupid pop-ups. And I'll tell you the reason it's official. Where's my count? Do-do-do-do. Where is it? My official count, or the official count, 63. 63. Official count, 63 people dead because of the chair. Now, there's over 60. No, I mean over 63. Estimates go from 70 all the way up to 90. But the 63 are ones that can actually be tracked down and verified. 63. And then I found out something very interesting. <laughs> you could smell the BS a mile away when you look at any of the ones over the documented 63. The Busby Stoop Inn, they took very, very good records as to who sat in the chair. They always believed that this legend was legit. And I guess after a couple times that this had happened, they made very detailed notes of people who sat in the chair just out of their own curiosity, you know? So this is one of the very few quote-unquote cursed items or cursed objects that has some paperwork backing it up. This goes all the way back to the time of Busby's execution. Now, this is a pretty big place. So you don't have thousands and thousands and thousands of people sitting in the chair. This was a local legend. I said, wow, man, Busby cursed that chair. And you got to remember the time, too. People really held on to this kind of stuff a lot more back then than now. So not a lot of people dared sat in that freaking chair. I guess people had more common sense back then. <laughs> but once things started happening, which we'll learn in a minute, very few people wanted to even get near the thing. So like I said, it's Busby's precious chair, right? The first victim... Who is patient zero here? Well, the first reported death alleged to be associated with the death chair is that of a chimney sweep who, along with a friend, sat in the chair whilst having a drink one evening in the year 1894. If you heard a door open while I was talking, I apologize. <laughs> like I said, I want to be an inspiration to podcasters and budding podcasters out there. I'm not sitting in no big expensive studio. I do this at home. And there's four people living in an apartment, so occasionally you're going to hear this stuff, but... Hey, if I can make it sound this good in a bedroom, so can you. Now, anyway, back to it. The sweep, chimney sweep, okay, 1894. Now, the chimney sweep never made it home that night. Being completely inebriated, he laid down on the road to sleep. The next morning, his body was found hanging from the post next to the gibbet. Whoa, wait a minute. His, <laughs> his body was found hanging from the post next to the gibbet. His death was ruled a suicide, but in, I didn't hear about this one. Like I said, I save uh, the bulk of the research for when we're actually sitting here recording because I think it's cool to get actual reactions. Uh, the death was ruled as a suicide, but in 1914, the friend with whom the chimney sweep has spent his last hours with admitted on his deathbed to having robbed and murdered his friend, rendering this one all but debunked. Let me check my list of 63 uh, is the chimney sweep on here? I want to make sure that this one is one of the ones that was verified. Okay. No, not verified. Okay, I thought that was weird, because it was 1894 
Thomas Busby was executed in the 1600s, right? So I was like, what, no one sat in that chair for almost 200 years? Give me a break. Okay, I thought that was BS. Uh, this one is, yeah, considered debunked. Okay, because I didn't see, I, yeah, I don't see them on my list. These ones are verified. And I know it sounds weird, but this was something that really freaked out the owners of the building, right? Thomas Busby was a really, just really bad dude. Really bad dude. And he was kind of like the, the, the town bully, you know? And on, on a criminal, dangerous criminal on top of that. I don't know. Like I said, maybe people had more common sense back then, but it was well known that he had cursed that chair. And it was, ex it was a rarity that people sat in the thing. And I guess for their own entertainment or maybe to see if this was legit, thank God that place took the names down. Very detailed records. It's amazing. So, <laughs> Dead Man's Chair, right? That's what it came to be known as. During the Second World War, the pub became a very popular drinking spot with RCAF airmen. The airmen would goad each other to sit in the chair. Those that took up the challenge never returned from their missions. Okay, what's this is bugging me here. So why did so much time pass? Thomas Busby was executed in the 1600s? Thomas Busby. Really? That much time? It, uh, something isn't adding up to me. Wait a minute. I gotta check something. Well, not wait a minute. We'll stick around here with you. 1702. Okay. He was executed in 1702. Oh, I see. The place closed down for a really long time. It was considered a historical building. Oh, okay. Now the shit is making sense. It was reopened in the latter... What is this? When was this place reopened? I see that it was closed down for a long time. Uh, estimates put it at anywhere between 1900 and 1920. Okay. All right. Now, okay. That, <laughs> that makes sense to me. I was thinking, what? That nobody sat in this chair for 200 years? Okay, this sounds stupid. All right. So, yeah, looks like the place was considered historical, kind of went to pot. It was opened back up. All right. All right. Now we're clear. Because I was going to say, <laughs> nobody sat in this chair for 200 years. You know what I mean? Maybe I'm <laughs> Are you telling me that they, the curse didn't start working until World War II? But anyway, I know that makes sense. Now, the airmen, who were recorded as sitting in the chair, for some reason, every one of them that sat in that chair, their planes were shot down. In 1968, okay, keep this in mind, the real first reported ones of these uh, 63, the first, like, truly verifiable ones, okay, not the legendary ones or anything past 63, the verifiable recorded 63... Started in World War II, the airmen. Okay, think about this. I know it was a long time ago, but we're not talking about the 1600s here. We're not talking about the 1700s. We're not talking about the 1800s, 1910, any of that. This is fairly recent. You know what I mean? And you kind of forget that, considering how long ago Thomas Busby died and how long that chair was just sitting in that empty building. 
the chair was a thing of legend before anybody bought the you know the Busby stupid right. A lot of uh, that thing was already a legend. They're not going to go buy this historical building and throw it away. You know what I mean? It was sitting in there for God knows how long. Losing a loved one is never easy. When the time comes to say goodbye, call the professionals who are known for their compassion and quality service. Quinlan Memorials in Wakefield, Massachusetts. For over 60 years, family-owned Quinlan Memorials has been proud to serve the Boston community. From cemetery memorials and inscriptions to maintenance and cleaning, they are there for you. And remote appointments are available. Go to quinlanmemorials.com or call Ralph at 781-245-2505. They're family serving your family since 1959. A link to their website will be provided in this episode's description. just that that really fascinates me because you really get that gist when you speak to the people that live there and they walk past this building every day or god forbid work there and they you just you're kind of reminded that they say oh my aunt or my grandma or this or that and you're thinking okay thomas busby 1600s but these phenomenon really didn't start occurring until that place was reopened we're talking world war ii here and then it you know, <laughs> nobody dared sat in that fucking chair. 1968, though, a couple of years before Tony Earnshaw took over the running of the pub, he overheard two airmen dare each other to sit in the chair, which was pretty fascinating to the people that worked there because you had to have been absolutely bonkers. They both did. They both sat in it. Returning to the airfield, their car left the road and crashed into a tree. They both died on the way to the hospital. I have photos of this car crash. Hell of a car crash. You know how cars were made back then? Man, they had to have hit this tree fast. I mean, that car, it's not made of fiberglass, right? <laughs> These are real freaking cars here. Old school. Built correctly. Not molded fiberglass and plastic and all that shit. This thing is wrapped around the tree, man. Yeah, that crash definitely killed somebody. That's a hell of a picture. Through the early 70s, the chair seemed to claim a number of victims, including a cleaning lady who was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Let me look at my list here. Uh, accidentally fell into the chair. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, cause this, this was something that was bugging me that I didn't realize in my initial kind of investigation was... Why are there so few people, if, if the Busby Stoop Inn has been around, reopened for that long, since the early 1900s, shouldn't we have a little bit more than 63 people? But apparently, the people running the pub strongly discouraged people from sitting in the chair. And I'm seeing some really old pictures of this thing, where they actually did have it roped off. And it had kind of a uh, <laughs> this paper like certificate on it that tells the story and whatnot. Huh, that's crazy. So really the only way that you could possibly sit in that chair as if like this cleaning lady that I see here, uh, where's the, there's a hitchhiker on here, a couple of uh, motorcyclists, like old school biker gangs, fatal road accidents, the hitchhiker who was run over after having spent two nights at the pub. Uh, what's this one? Local man who died of a heart attack right after sitting in the chair. A couple of builders having a drink at the pub actually cajoled the youngest of their group into hopping the rope and sitting on the chair. So this 
this was discouraged, especially after all the airmen were shot down. The pub actually believed in this, right? They did not allow people to sit in that chair. But it's sitting right there, and it has this big, like, you know, history of Autonomous Busby's chair on it. It's just, but the only thing stopping people from sitting in it is a fucking rope. You know what I mean? It's like, it's bound to happen. That's crazy. It's like uh, opening a bar, and then in front of every stool is a loaded gun. That just seems very irresponsible to me. A rope, you know? If you believed in it that much, why is it even out there? That bugs me. Back at, okay, anyway, so let's go back. A group of the builders, you know, having a drink at the pub, they cajoled the youngest of their group into sitting on the chair. Back at the site, this is one of the verified ones, man fell through the roof of the building and landed on the concrete ground below. This death was the final straw for Earnshaw, and he banished the chair to the cellar. So this guy, he uh, had just, you know, bought the pub. The inn, right? He had just bought it. One was enough for him, which is good. Finally, somebody with some damn sense. <laughs> One death was enough. But seems that the chair wasn't finished. A delivery man from the brewery was in the cellar one day when he decided to try out the chair. He commented to Earnshaw that it was far too comfortable to be left down there. So he's like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> you know, he has this kind of, you sat in the damn chair. And he goes, yeah, man, that thing's way too comfortable to be down here. So he thought, oh, my God. I put it in the basement. You know, I didn't expect anybody to just be like, oh, a chair, and sit in it. Anyway, the delivery man, he was killed shortly afterwards when his van went off the road. Short, soon after, Earnshaw must have decided that the chair, despite being a profitable tourist attraction, was way too dangerous to keep any longer. In 1978, Earnshaw donated it to the Thirsk Museum. There are so many questions that have been left unanswered and probably unanswerable. Did Busby really commit murder over a chair? This kind of guy? You bet your ass. But he was working in counterfeiting. Does it matter? <laughs> right? Old boy was messing with his lady. That's obvious. Anyway, that doesn't even matter why. I don't even know that why that's even a question. He killed somebody, period. And he was a violent criminal even before that. Could any person truly hold such deep affection toward a carved piece of wood? A man like him? Yeah. I know people like him. You know people like him. One of these crazy drunkards, oh, sit in my chair, man, I'll kick your damn ass. Nobody sits in my chair. You know, we all know people like that. It's this revengeful and jealous spirit. I mean, does he sound like a guy who has all of his marbles anyway? <laughs> Is he still attacking anyone who dares sit in his seat? Or was the murder over something far more important, which we will never know about? Important to a counterfeiter? A career criminal? I don't know. It's kind of obvious to me, isn't it? Is the chair really haunted, or was it a money-making gimmick? If it was a money-making gimmick, then why is it in a museum? Right? A lot of people are saying, oh, it's a tourist trap thing, tourist trap. Anything to get you into the pub. Well, it might work, yeah. But if you are more fascinated about the legend of the chair, you're not going to go to the pub. You're going to go to the museum. The pub has no more link to Busby anymore. The chair's in the museum, boy. You know? <laughs> Why would it be a tourist trap? Nobody paid high dollar for the chair. He donated it for free. He wanted rid of it. Is this just really an unlucky piece of furniture? Is the chair really the same chair that Busby fought over? That's something I'll have to get into. 
because there's a lot of back and forth as to is this actually from the time period. But I found out some interesting things. Now, many people believe the deaths were just an unlucky coincidence. Another explanation could be simply that the majority of those brave enough to defy the curse were just risk takers prepared to push their damn luck. A lot of airmen got shot down in World War II because it could have been a coincidence. Hmm? It's interesting how many of the deaths happened on roads. Thousands of men of Bomber Command never returned from their sorties. They simply unlucky. A lot of people say this. On one hand, it'd be intriguing to test the chair to see if the legend of this unusual haunting is really true. But on the other hand, sometimes it's better not to know. This chair fascinated me. Like I said, I almost never, I almost didn't do this episode. But once I started diving, I was, I, I had that thing where I was hooked. You know, I just had that thing. Oh, I got to do it. I got to do it. <laughs> and I devoted like so much time to researching this thing. I got the bug, man. Now the coroner, this is very interesting. The coroner was interviewed in the, uh, <laughs> he was interviewed various paranormal groups, you know, the coroner, who worked for the town from the early 1980s all the way to the late 1990s, stated, and I quote, The only way I would ever sit in that chair is if my doctor told me I had 12 hours to live. Call me crazy, but that sounds a little significant coming from a coroner. <laughs> I just thought that was interesting. I know that's very hearsay and kind of silly, but... I just thought that was a very interesting quote. If I had 12 hours to live, I would. the only time I would ever sit in that chair is if I had 12 hours to live. And it was a coroner that said that. Isn't that funny? But now here comes the debate of the chair. A furniture historian, this is where a lot of people stop right here. A furniture historian examined the chair and found it to have machine-turned spindles, whereas 18th century chairs were made using a pole lathe. He dated the chair to 1840, 138 years after Busby's execution. However, now this is a big however. <laughs> if you do more than just look up an article on fucking Wikipedia, which I guarantee this guy did, you don't have to be a master carpenter to know that machine-turned chairs, though archaic in build, have existed since at least the 16th century. <laughs> I found that out. And this guy's a furniture historian? Okay. It seems that the extreme need to prove your point goes both ways, doesn't it? Whether you believe in this stuff or, you have, or you're so susceptible to skepticism and it's more inappropriate use bases, it's easy for passion to cloud common sense. But that's why we're here. As I say in every show, common sense is something not used in the field of paranormal study anymore. But that's why we're here. This curse, according to this podcast, is it real? Is it not? Well, let me tell you something. There's something that really blows my mind about this one. This chair, and you'll see a lot about it, that this thing could not have been from the time period. There's no way... 1600s, blah, blah, blah. There's no way that the chair could be from this time period because it had machine spun this and, you know, it, it was uh, not used by lathes and this and that. In its rudimentary form, these, uh, <laughs> it, this is just completely debunked. And this was one of, this is their big argument here. Machine churn chairs, 
mis- oh, that's a tongue twister, isn't it? Machine turned chairs have existed since the 16th century in various forms. That's gone. That's debunked. That's that's toast. This thing was really Thomas Busby's chair. There's a lot of hearsay here. What do we know for a fact, okay? What do we know for a fact? Thomas Busby was a career criminal. We don't know why. We don't care why. Ended up killing his associate. And we don't know exactly what words he used. We don't know exactly how he said it. We don't know if he's, you know, said Vindi Vidi Vici and clapped his hands and rubbed his hands and sprinkled fairy dust all over the place. But he cursed the chair. The inn was shut down for a while. Naturally, he owned the thing. Right? (laughs) He's getting put on. He's being hung or tarred, you know, both actually, for murder. Place gets shut down, turns into a historical building. Early 1900s, place opens back up. And that chair had a reputation. People were superstitious back then. They didn't sit in the thing. And maybe it had the warning on it back then. Maybe it didn't. But it wasn't until World War II time that the first confirmed people who sat in that chair were recorded. No one had died in that chair until that time. But it's very well believed. And there's enough evidence there to prove that there was always some kind of rope or warning around that chair. They did not want people sitting in it. But it seems that that wasn't enough (laughs) for some people. Is it really? I mean, if you have a cursed chair, it's like having it's like the big red button, right? I don't know if you've, I'm showing my age here, but have you ever watched an episode of Ren and Stimpy where Ren leaves Stimpy alone in this room with a big red button? Uh, It's called the history eraser button, (laughs) but he doesn't tell Stimpy what it does. It's just this big red button. And this is a classic scientific experiment. Leave somebody alone with the big red button. Maybe something bad, maybe something good. We don't know. If it does anything, they're going to push it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Very irresponsible. If they were convinced that this chair was cursed, uh, I think a rope and a sign is the just l- most uncool thing they could have possibly done. For this other guy, you know, Earnshaw, who ended up taking over the place in the early 1970s, one was enough. He's like, nope, I'm done. Donated it to the museum. That's what we know. The 63... Confirmed deaths. Could there have been more? Yeah. But I'm telling you one thing, there couldn't have been less. The records are immaculate. They're handwritten. You can get them online, man. I got a copy of it myself. And I said, I, you know, I, I wish I could tell you who I spoke to or who I corresponded with, who I emailed. But I'm not saying I believe them because of what they said. I am an evidence guy, and that's how we have to be on strange places. We need to look at the evidence for how it is. No preconceived anything, no wanting so bad to debunk it or or make it be true that we're going to stretch things like this historian completely overlooking the fact that these machines, even in the most rudimentary forms, are way older than he said they were. And I guarantee he looked it up on Wikipedia. I guarantee it. Because I looked it up on Wikipedia myself, that's where I started, and I got the same conclusion. But unlike, I guess, 
uh, furniture historians of the world, I'm going to go a little bit further than fucking Wikipedia. Wikipedia is great, but you got to have your additional sources. If that's all you go to, then you need to do a little bit more digging. Wikipedia should be where you start. But could there be more? Yeah, yeah, there could be more. But the ones that the pub knew about, the ones that the inn knew about, wrote them all down. So we need to say that officially recorded, ones that they knew about, right? Officially recorded people who died in that chair, 63. Would you like to take a fucking guess how many people died out of that recorded 63? I'll give you one guess. 63. Let that sink in. 63 people sat in that chair and 63 died. Now you tell me what cursed item, what other cursed item on this entire planet has a 100% kill rate? Nothing. An Israeli commando trained sniper doesn't have a 100% kill rate. Little boy and fat man didn't have a 100% kill rate, but this chair does. Debunking this thing is impossible. There is no way I can debunk this thing. Can we say further study? No, I can't say that either. Because these records are immaculately kept. They're all traceable And they all have the manner of death. You could look up every single person on here. The records, this never happens. And I wish that every quote-unquote cursed item had a paper trail. This is amazing. This damn thing has a paper trail. That's crazy. I wish the Baltic Sea Anomaly had a paper trail. I'm just, I'm speechless. And I'm rarely speechless. I've been doing stuff like this not just the podcast, but I'm doing uh, radio stuff and working in recording studios. My voice has been, I've had a mic shoved in my face for a long time. I'm very, I'm not often at a loss for words. What other anything, let's just say what other cursed item on this planet or curse in general has a 100% fucking kill rate? Nothing does. This one, I cannot debunk. With all of my common sense, with all of my, (laughs) every cell in my body, you cannot debunk this. That is a piece of evidence that I don't give a shit what else is on the table. Don't care. The facts say this career criminal cursed the chair and guess what? Everybody recorded who sat in the thing died. It would be different if a 1,000 people sat in the chair and only 63 died, right? It'd be different if 10,000 people sat in the chair and only 63 died, right? It'd be kind of weird if 63 people sat in the chair and only 2 died. Nope, we have 63-63. When I saw that shit, my jaw hit the floor. Now, I believe that we have firmly established on this show that curses are a thing. That they are real. This one, I gotta tell you. I'm putting a big red proven stamp on it. This is a legitimate curse. Uh, Yeah, 
You can go to the museum this day, and this thing is hanging multiple feet above the ground, almost touching the ceiling. This chair is mounted, (laughs) almost touching the ceiling. It's like someone forcing you to display a vial of poison gas. But I'm not going to go any further with it, because that fact, fact, that fact alone, I don't need to go anywhere else. I think... On this episode of Strange Places, we have ourselves something entirely legitimate. But what do you think? What do you think about Thomas Busby's favorite chair, huh? Do you think it's real? Do you think it's not? Even with the evidence in hand, did I miss something? Did I miss one crucial detail that could have completely changed this entire narrative? Let me know. Contact me on whatever you're listening to this on. And remember to go on Asylum817.com. That's Asylum817.com for all things Strange Places related. All the social media links are there as well as a link to get to our Patreon account where you can get everything from early access to shows, bonus stuff, giveaways of certain tiers. Little as a dollar a month, man. Check it out. There's something there for everybody. Shout out to the patrons, by the way. The Kunkel Homestead YouTube channel, Donald Haynes, David Peterson. Thank you guys for being patrons. The show would not exist without you. Seriously, thank you so much. Thank you for the listeners. Thank you, everybody, for keep coming back every week, man. You guys are awesome. And yeah, that's it. We'll see you next time. Are we ever going to run out of strange places to talk about? I don't think so. Because every town has a strange place. And maybe one day, we'll visit yours. The Strange Places podcast is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a music label for truly independent artists. They will distribute and share your music on every streaming platform the internet has to offer. And the best part is that you keep all of your royalties. In fact, DistroKid has made history, marking the first time that an artist on the charts made 100% of their earnings. This is the music industry's worst nightmare, giving indie artists complete control over their art. For only 20 bucks a year, you can upload unlimited music, and with the split feature, you can split a percentage of the earnings to your bandmates. If you click the affiliate link in this episode's description, you get 7% off the first year. But did I mention that after that, it's only 20 bucks a freaking year? I've been a musician for a long time. My music is heard all over the world, and yours should be too. Click the link in this episode's description to not only support Strange Places, but put control of your own music back into your hands. No contracts, no hidden clauses, no lovely coin men in their lovely, lovely suits. Thanks to DistroKid for being a sponsor and giving this old dog an audience.